0: Welcome to From the View Box with Hal and Chris. This is the podcast of the UMass Medical School Department of Radiology. My name is Hal Lowe from the Division of Emergency
1: Radiology. And I am Christopher Sernelia from Musculoskeletal Imaging.
0: Welcome to another episode of From the View Box. We are recording at the end of May, 2020. Uh, We are still in the midst of the uh, global COVID-19 pandemics and recording this uh, episode remotely via Zoom. Uh, So please uh, bear with us and please forgive any uh, audio um, infidelity.
1: Good morning and welcome back to another uh, episode of From the View Box. Today we have uh, a colleague of mine, Chip Watts, who is from the Division of Musculoskeletal Radiology. And Dr. Watts will be speaking to you today on uh, musculoskeletal eponyms. How are you doing, Chip? Hi, Chris, thanks for having me. Wonderful. So How and I are looking forward to speaking to you today on musculoskeletal eponyms.:
2: Great. Yeah, looking forward to it. Great, welcome, Chip.
0: Uh, my first question, um, have, can you uh, define for us what uh, what do you mean by eponym? What does that mean?
2: Yeah, so, you know, very simply, an eponym is something that's named after someone, usually a, a person who has either discovered um, some medical uh, phenomenon or was one of the early people to describe it. Okay. Okay. Um,
0: Uh, And why do we use uh, eponyms in um, uh, medicine, uh, generally speaking, but also uh, specifically in radiology?
2: Yeah, I think that's a good question, how, you know, there's really two main reasons why eponyms are used. And I think that the first um, and probably, you know, oldest reason is because we want to honor those individuals who made some meaningful contribution um, to the medical term or the condition that we're talking about. And then the second you know more practical use is is it sort of serves as a type of shorthand uh, a way to facilitate communication of you know what may be a complex uh, type of concept and shrink it down and use a commonly uh, a commonly recognized name to just communicate a lot of
1: information at one time that's great uh, chip um, I know through, you know, musculoskeletal and certainly in the musculoskeletal world we have a, a variety of eponyms. How do you, you know, help the residents kind of organize the various types of eponyms in in musculoskeletal imaging?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, certainly in the medical profession we we love naming things after people and that's that's certainly no different in musculoskeletal radiology. So, there are tons and tons of MSK eponyms out there and a broad sense of how you can categorize them is Thinking about eponyms that are used in describing fractures or traumatic injury patterns. Another category would be uh, tumors and then tumor like lesions. We also have a lot of MSK eponyms that are used in classification or grading systems. And then finally, you see many MSK eponyms used in the description of congenital, metabolic, or syndromic conditions.
1: That's great. Um, So today's uh... Discussion, I think we're going to focus uh, mostly on, on fractures. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm really just trying to select some things that may be more commonly encountered by, you know, a resident uh, who's on the MSK service or uh, somebody, you know, who's sitting in a reading room and, and providing some clinical information for ordering providers. So we're really focused on fractures, and I've selected some involving the upper extremity and also some for the lower extremity. And then, you know, hopefully we'll finish with a brief description of some
1: MSK tumors. Great. And uh, just a reminder to our listeners, um, like all of our guests, uh, Dr. Watts has provided some additional resources for those interested. Uh, I believe uh, Chip has uh, provided um, a article from the AJR on eponyms of tumors and tumor-like lesions, as well as a, a nice uh, radiographics uh, review of the uh, history of uh, some of them eponyms in the musculoskeletal system. So take a look at those. Um, why don't we move on to uh, our discussion on uh, fractures and fracture eponyms and starting at the upper extremity.
2: Yeah, it sounds great. So, you know, the, the first um, place that we'll sort of move through in the upper extremity, we'll kind of start from uh, the upper part and we'll move all the way down to the hands. Um, so the first anatomic location that we'll cover is the shoulder. And there are two uh, main eponyms I think that are important when discussing um, injuries of the shoulder. And the first is called a Hill Sachs lesion. And a Hill Sachs lesion is uh, an injury that occurs in the setting of an anterior shoulder dislocation. So the humerus uh, slips out anteriorly relative to the glenoid. And an impaction fracture of the humeral head that results is known as a Hill Sachs fracture. So you can think of this uh, H for hillsacks is like an H for humerus. And this injury goes along with the second um, point about the shoulder, and that's called a Bankart lesion. And a Bankart lesion occurs during the exact same event, an anterior shoulder dislocation event. And the Bankart fracture is a fracture of the anteroinferior aspect of the glenoid. So when you think about a Bankart injury, you can think of B, for back or behind because in an anterior dislocation event, the glenoid is going to be positioned behind the humerus.
1: That's great. How about uh, moving more distally um, down to the elbow and forearm? What type of eponyms do we encounter here?
2: Yeah, so as, as we move uh, further along in the upper extremity, the, the little mnemonics may get less and less uh, <laughs> clear, but, um, <laughs> but nonetheless, I think, uh, I think it's important to group these three together. The three injuries that we have for the elbow and forearm, we begin with uh, an injury pattern called the Essex Lopresti. And Essex Lopresti is a description of a displaced radial head fracture at the elbow joint and a simultaneous dislocation at the distal radio ulnar joint that's at the wrist. So the way to remember this is Essex Lopresti is a hyphenated name. So two names, two joints. Moving along to the forearm, there are two types of injuries that can really be grouped together. The first is called a Galeazzi, and the Galeazzi injury is a radial shaft fracture with a dislocation at the distal radio ulnar joint at the wrist. Sort of the mirror image to this injury pattern is known as a montagia injury. A montagia injury is an ulnar shaft fracture with a dislocation of the radial head at the elbow. So one way to remember this is, if you think of the M for montagia, is like the M for someone when they get mauled, like if you were being mauled by a bear. Yeah. Picture somebody who's being attacked and they may raise their arm to protect their face. The bone that's exposed in that position is the ulna. So the montagia fracture pattern is an ulnar fracture and then the dislocation occurs at the elbow. The mirror image of that is a Galeazzi. So if you remember one, then you automatically know the other.
1: That's a good way. Of the mauling. So that's that's kind of like if you, you know the nightstick fracture. You put your you put your forearms up to kind of protect your your head and face, right? Exactly. Perfect. So let's move down to the wrist. What type of uh, eponyms do we uh, do the residents encounter commonly here at the wrist? I know there's uh, some common common injuries.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, not only radiologists but a lot of clinicians and surgeons use these eponyms specifically related to wrist injuries. So I've selected three here. The first is probably the most important and well-known, and that's a Colles fracture. Colles uh, is a non-articular distal radius fracture, and in these injuries, the wrist is displaced dorsally. Uh, you can think of this, again, being paired with another injury pattern that's very similar, and that's called a Smith fracture. The Smith fracture is also a non-articular distal radius fracture, but in this case, the wrist is displaced volarly. So a way to remember between these two, if you think of the letter C for Collis, the C comes before S in the alphabet, so C goes up and S goes down. If you're looking at a lateral radiograph, picture the Collis fracture being displaced up or dorsally, and the Smith fracture being displaced down or volarly. And then a third injury of the wrist that's I think important to know here is called a Barton fracture, which is an intra-articular fracture of the distal radius. So while the Collis and Smith injuries are non-articular, the Barton fracture is an intra-articular fracture
1: so the B for Barton can be thought of as being bad. Articular extension of the fracture is always a bad thing. Yeah, that's great. And I think um, it's important for uh, our residents to understand, I think you mentioned it both times, that those the, the Collis fracture and the Smith fracture are both extra-articular. I know sometimes um, I've seen it written by clinicians and even some radiologists, um, you know, clumping any volar or, or dorsal and distal radial fracture as a, a Barton, I'm sorry, a Smith or a Collis fracture is not not accurate. These are extra articulate. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, So let's finish out and at the hand, what type of eponyms uh, do you want to speak of uh, here in the hand?
2: So again, there's so many to pick from here, Chris, I I really only chose two because they occur at the same location. Uh, The first is a Bennett fracture, which is a fracture dislocation injury that happens at the base of the thumb metacarpal. And that's very closely related to the second one, which is known as a Rolando fracture. Again, a fracture dislocation injury at the same location, the base of the thumb metacarpal. But in this case, the Rolando injury is a comminuted fracture. So if you think of B for Bennett as being a bad injury, Rolando is a real bad injury.
0: All right, great, Chip. Uh, thanks for that um... A review of the upper extremity. How about the uh, how about the lower extremity? There there are quite a few uh, eponyms, uh involving the lower extremity as well.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. Now, so you know, there's there's so many, and you know, there's a lot of stuff that that are not included in this lecture. So we're going to kind of skip over the pelvis and the hip, and we're just going to go right to the knee uh, as our first uh, area of of discussion for the lower extremity. So at the knee, I've listed two particular eponyms that are worth knowing. Um, the first is called a sagond fracture, which is a small vertically oriented fracture at the lateral tibial plateau. The importance of the sagond fracture is not so much the bony injury, but really the hidden injury that is the ACL. Sagond fractures are very closely associated with ACL injuries. So you can remember Sagand by thinking about looking for the second injury, the ACL injury. The other uh, fracture that's worth mentioning uh, at the knee is called a Pellegrini steata lesion. A Pellegrini steata lesion is actually just a chronic ossification related to a prior injury at the MCL origin, which happens at at the medial femoral condyle. So Pellegrini steata, PS, you can think of this as sort of PS, I hurt my MCL a long time ago. (laughs)
0: Sounds good. Uh, And I think both of those uh, um, findings uh, in a typical radiology practice, uh, you know, they're not, uh, they're not rare. Uh, And and I think uh, we do see them quite a bit.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that's the point here is just trying to highlight some of the more common injuries that that we may encounter.
0: Okay. What about uh, going more inferiorly? What about the, the, the leg and the ankle?
2: Yeah, so the first one that I've listed here is is an injury pattern known as a mesonuve fracture. This describes a spiral fracture of the upper third of the fibula, but there's also an injury to the syndesmosis and at the medial malleolus of the tibia. So if you're looking at an ankle radiograph and you happen to see a medial malleolus fracture and you see widening of the syndesmosis, you should make sure that you check for a mesonuve fracture, which is the injury at the upper third of the fibula. Also related to the lower leg and ankle is an injury called the tillow fracture. A tillow fracture is an avulsion fracture that happens at the distal anterior tibial tubercle. This is the attachment site for a ligament, specifically the distal anterior tibiofibular ligament. So you can think of TILO for tibia. And the last piece about the ankle is a fracture and classification scheme rolled into one, which is known as the Weber classification scheme. The Weber scheme describes fractures of the distal fibula and assigns a letter designation to them, A, B, and C, with the higher letter indicating a greater likelihood of ankle mortis insufficiency. So a Weber A fracture is a transverse fracture of the distal fibula below the level of the tibio-talar joints. A B fracture starts at the level of the joints and then extends proximally and obliquely. And a Weber C fracture occurs above the level of the tibiotalar
1: joint.
0: Great, Chip. Yeah, I know, you know, in the ER, the, the Weber is certainly, that's probably one of our most common uh, sort of fracture pra- patterns and one of the most common uh, eponyms or even uh, words that we would use. And I know certain orthopedic orthopedic surgeons kind of uh, almost require us to to, to use that word because they're used to it.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah, really useful classification scheme. So finishing out the lower extremity with the foot, um, you know, I've listed two injury patterns here. The first is called a Liz Frank fracture. A Lisfranc fracture is really a fractured dislocation injury, and it occurs at the tarsometatarsal joints, typically affecting the second through fifth tarsometatarsal joints. Um, I don't have a great mnemonic for this, but I I tend to remember these two injury patterns in the foot by remembering the people they're named for. So Jacques Lisfranc, uh, who this is named for, was a French surgeon in Napoleon's army. And he was kind of made famous for perfecting foot amputations in the field. These armies were marching all over the place. They frequently had foot injuries and frostbite. And so his description of this type of uh, anatomy took several pages to describe on paper, but he perfected the surgery such that he could amputate across the midfoot in less than a minute, it was said. So that's Jacques Lisfranc. The next injury pattern in the foot is, is called a, a Jones fracture which is a transverse fracture that happens at the proximal shaft of the fifth metatarsal. Important to remember, this is different from the avulsion injury of the proximal fifth metatarsal that occurs at the tuberosity. So this is really a transverse fracture at the proximal shaft. And this one was named for an orthopedic surgeon named Robert Jones. Uh, He was from Britain, and uh, he was an early proponent actually of radiology. So He was really famous for um, publishing uh, the first uh, article in Lancet uh, in 1896, uh, looking for a bullet um, in a patient's forearm. And this was just a couple months after Rankin first published his work on the x-ray. Also about Dr. Jones, to help you remember this particular injury pattern, he actually had this injury himself. Um, He got this fracture while dancing. And he described it as being most interesting and most painful.
0: <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I knew all that about uh, Dr. Jones. But so, yeah, sounds like he, uh, he was a early pioneer for all of us radiologists who came after him.
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: um, okay. Thank, yeah, so thank you for that uh, review of all the sort of fracture um, Eponyms, and that you know, most of them, I think, we we commonly can commonly uh, encounter um, in either MSK or ER or just a general radiology practice. Um, what about uh, what about in a different setting? Uh, in the setting of tumors, um, I know that in tumors there are quite a few also eponyms that people would use. Uh, can you can you run us through some of those?
2: Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Hal. You know, just like the, the fractures and, and the traumatic injury patterns, tumors are a really common area where we see a lot of eponyms getting thrown around. So I, I've selected a few here. Uh, the first is called an askin tumor. Uh, this is a malignant small cell tumor that specifically occurs at the chest wall. Um, it's in the same histologic family as Ewing sarcoma, but uh, you really describe this fractures occurring along the chest wall. So When you think about Askin tumor, this is the type of tumor, when I see this, I always ask for help because it typically involves the pleura and the lung. So I usually want to ask one of my chest radiology colleagues uh, for some help with this kind of tumor. The next one uh, in the tumor family is related to the Askin tumor. It's called a Ewing sarcoma. It's a primary malignant tumor of bone, and it often has a soft tissue component. That's pretty important. The population it occurs in usually in adolescent patients um, with a slight male predominance. And one way to remember Ewing sarcoma, I may be dating myself here, guys, but um, the sarcoma is, a, is related to a gene translocation. And those genes happen to be found on chromosomes 11 and 22. So if you add those two together, 11 and 22 equals 33 which was Patrick Ewing's number in basketball. Patrick Ewing was a famous now retired basketball player. So I may sound old by using that reference, but that's how I remembered it.
1: You're definitely dating yourself, bringing back the the Big East basketball. Um,
2: <laughs> I know, Georgetown lore.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: maybe those people that watched The Last Dance will see the the old gray-haired version of Patrick Ewing and remember it that way.
1: <laughs> that's um, a, great, a great way to remember. Few more, it. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: <laughs> No, it's just a a few more tumors to go over here. One is called an Evans tumor, which is a low-grade fibromyxoid sarcoma that happens in soft tissues. I just listed it here because it's interesting. The Evans tumor really kind of looks more benign on histology, but it's deceptive in this way because it is capable of, of distant metastasis. I don't have a great mnemonic for Evans tumors, so if any of our listeners have a good idea, please shoot me an email. The next one uh, that I've listed here is Kaposi sarcoma, well known to us in the setting of AIDS and actually is an AIDS defining illness. Kaposi sarcoma is a mesenchymal tumor that involves blood and lymphatic vasculature. And we most commonly see this in the skin, although besides the skin, it can also occur in visceral organs and in soft tissues. The next two uh, that I have listed here are actually related to one another. The first is called Maffucci syndrome. Maffucci syndrome is the occurrence of multiple enchondromas in bones, along with multiple soft tissue hemangiomas. Now, the enchondroma piece results in expansion and lytic lesions with a lot of cortical thinning. And the hemangioma piece, you may pick this up on radiographs by seeing some small soft tissue plebolifts. This is related to another disease known as Allier disease, which is just the multiple bony enchondromas. So it does not have the hemangioma piece for Allier disease. A way to distinguish these, O for Allier means O for only enchondromas. M for Mofuchi, you can think of M for more than just enchondromas. Mofuchi is the one with both enchondromas and hemangiomas. And then the last tumor that I have listed is called a Morton neuroma. This is something that occurs in the intermetatarsal space, usually between the third and fourth metatarsal heads. And it's a very painful lesion, but it's actually not a true neuroma. It's really just fibrosis and degeneration of the interdigital nerve. Again, I don't have a great mnemonic for this one, so I kind of remember who it's named for, Thomas Morton was a civil war surgeon from philadelphia and he was actually in addition to naming this or being this being named after him he was one of the first surgeons in the u.s to perform a successful appendectomy so that was thomas morton and this is the morton Aroma, and that kind of finishes out our discussion of tumors
0: great chip thank you that's that was that's excellent uh sound seems like a uh Uh, a history lesson on top of everything else that you've just uh, taught us. That's, that's great. Thank you.
2: There you go. Everything from Patrick Ewing to Thomas Morton. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah. Uh, And on behalf of uh, Chris, uh, I'd like to uh, thank you again, Chip, for joining us today uh, on this uh, episode of uh, from the view box. Um, And again, uh, Dr. Watts has provided with, uh, provided uh, our viewers with additional references in that, which you can see in the show notes. Thank you, Chip.
2: Hey, thank you guys. It was a real pleasure.
1: And that concludes today's episode. Thank you for listening and supporting from the Viewbox. We've attached additional reading materials to the episode notes as provided by our guest. And please visit us at www.umassmed.edu radiology. Thank you to our colleagues, Charlene Barron,
0: Tom Delaney and Dan Ramsaran for their technical assistance. See you next
1: time.